Hello, this is Oliver Wong of Heat Rocks, and you're listening to a Heat Rocks mailbag mini-sode recorded during our November taping hiatus. I took questions, in this case, from the Facebook group for Heat Rocks, and we start with, uh, I'm going to answer two this time, and we're going to start with Rob Champion's question about what is the best Nas album since Illmatic? And I got to be honest. This was a tough one to answer. Well, actually, it's not that tough to answer because I think the easy answer is it was written, the follow-up to Illmatic. If we're just talking about the track-for-track quality, then I think it was written comes the closest to Illmatic. The golden child shot that ass up. You was holding out. Let the streets be the court. And corners hold the trail. Fatal, not fictitious. I rock the cable 86s. Foreign cars, young with crazy bitches. Man, smoke makes me able to... But the thing is, there is really no album with one quasi-exception, which I'll get to in a moment, that I actually enjoy listening to outside of Illmatic. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that that Nas, and I'm not saying this as a criticism, I personally just don't like, in general, his taste in beats after Illmatic. There's just so many albums where there's like one or two songs that just sound like straight fire, and then you dip into the rest of the LP. I dip into the rest of the LP, and I'm left completely underwhelmed. So whether that is uh, like his self-titled album, Nas, whether it's Hip Hop Is Dead or Street's Disciple or God's Son. I mean, all of those albums have songs, individual songs that are amongst his very best. So if we're talking about God's Son, for example, Made You Look is easily like, you know, top three or top five Nas tracks of all time. At least I should say probably Nas tracks outside of Illmatic top five of all time. Like, made You Look is incredible. Now let's get it all in perspective For all y'all enjoyment, a song y'all can step with Y'all appointed me to bring rap justice But I ain't 5 y'all know it's nice, yo Great goose and a whole lot of The problem is, is that outside of Made You Look As well as, uh, what is the other song on there? Like, uh, Get Down, which is a pretty good too But outside of a very small handful I just don't care for the rest of the album And that's the case with a lot of Nas's albums that he's put out over the last, at this point, what, 26 years. So that's the thing with my relationship with with post-Illmatic Nas albums. I just don't like listening to most of them, at least not as end-to-end listens. The one exception I'll make is the 2000 album, and I use album in scare quotes because it's so short, but it's Nasir, which was part of the series of short albums that Kanye West put out the summer, I think, of 2018. He produced all of them in their entirety. And it was really cool, actually, to hear Nas and Kanye working together, even though Kanye, outside of his musical world, was just a freaking shit show. But the man still had pretty good taste in beats. And given that my complaint about Nas, Postalmatic is the taste in beats. This was the one exception to it. And because it was only seven songs, it was a really short listen. And I didn't find myself feeling impatient to skip across the three tracks in a row on every other album that I simply didn't care for. I should be more mature. Sure, I'm spoiled. Hit up the South of France after tour. Bonjour. How many girls prebate right before they date so she can have her straight? She still gets slain. So, yeah, Nasir, I liked it. 
And as I noted a moment ago, at only seven songs, it makes it relatively easy because I don't find myself wanting to skip four songs at a time, which is the experience I have with most of his other albums. And I know I'm not the only person to have made this observation, but Nas has his pattern where he'll put out the lead or teaser single from an upcoming album, and it'll be on some straight fire tip. And then you get to the actual LP, and it doesn't quite live up to those expectations. I think the example that immediately leaps to mind is back in 2012, before he put out the album Life is Good, the teaser single was a song called Nasty, which if the title suggests, this is taking it back to the days of Nasty Nas, we're talking early 90s. And yeah, look, I'm a golden era cat. I'm nostalgic. I'm trapped there. I I don't apologize for it. Deal with it. But Nasty was great. And that song doesn't even appear on the studio version of the album. You got to pick up the deluxe version if you want to hear it. And so it's like, why are you teasing us with this and then not delivering more like it? Even though actually The Dawn, also from the same album, really great as well. But Nasty was just, it was nasty. Man, that song is still really good. And I gotta say, Life is Good is actually a pretty decent album. Maybe it'd be my number three on the list post Illmatic after it was written. But I don't love it track for track, but there are individual songs that I think are great on there. The Dawn is great. Uh, I really like the song that he did with Amy Winehouse, Cherry Wine. The song Bye Baby, which is all about the disillusion of his marriage to Khalees, is pretty powerful stuff. But again, there's so many songs. I'm just looking at the track list right in front of me, and I don't even remember probably three quarters of the songs on here, which is not a great song. But that is my relationship to Nas, post-Illmatic. My little Jackie Onassis did. I'm so hot, I never land like Mike Jackson's crib. Vest on 45, still crack your rib sack. But let's talk trash about the nasty kid. All right, thanks again to Rob Champion for that question. Next up, we have a question from Luke Henning. Any hooks from Dusty LPs you've always thought should be sampled but haven't to your knowledge? And oh my, yes, I have some answers here. And my first one is going to be taken quite literally because it is from a Dusty LP, meaning it's from a Dusty Springfield LP. This is from an album she put out in 1972 that is not well known in the United States. It's called See All Her Faces. And as far as I know, it never received a U.S. release. It was never distributed here in the States. And so the only way you would have come upon it would would have been as an import or if you lived in Europe, which would be fine because it was all over Europe. It just wasn't in the U.S. And on that album, she does a cover of the song Crumbs Off the Table, which I associate with Laura Lee, though it might have been first recorded by The Glass House, and this is all from the early 70s. And as far as I know, Dusty's version of this is unique in terms of how it opens. The opening is not taken from the Laura Lee or The Glass House version. This seems to be specific to this, and I am just amazed that nobody has flipped this intro. As far as I know, no one has ever sampled it, and it could be simply that it was too obscure for most American producers. Maybe it's because it was too expensive to clear. Maybe it's because I'm the only person who likes it. But I don't know. You can't convince me otherwise that this does not work as just a sick, sick 
potential sample. And again, I'm just going to bring it back to you again. Just listen to this. The horns, the guitar, everything about it. It just it's just begging to be used. <laughs> My second example is a bit of a detour from the original question because this is a song that has been sampled and then this loop has been used, but I'm choosing it because I'm surprised at how underutilized it's been. And it is the drum and bass line breakdown from the song You and Love Are the Same by the group The Grassroots from 1969. This is a dollar bin breakbeat record. It's so easy to find, but in terms of bang for buck, few things I think buck as well as this does. And I'm going to start playing this before we we get to that bridge part to show you the kind of weird and unexpected shift the song makes because you would never expect this break to exist within the song based on how uh, it opens. Again, that is the grassroots with you and love are the same. And so most famously, both the drums and the bass line were used by Marley Marl for the remix of Jinglin' Baby by LL Cool J from, I think, what, 1990 or 91? However, outside of that, I can't find another example where the bass line has been used. Again, plenty of people have used the drums just not the bass line. The one exception I found was, wasn't even a sample. It was an interpolation of the bass line from a song I'd never heard before. Basically a new Jack swing from like a kitty or teen group called PG 13. This is back in 1990 and a song called teenage reporter, which does use an interpolation of the bass line, but it doesn't sample it. And frankly, because it's got new Jack swing production and anyone who listens to the show knows I ain't feeling this. Interrupt this album for a very important announcement. You see, the situation's terrible. Some claim that it's unbearable. That's why I'm breaking it down into parables and free. Sorry. No, just no. Can't roll with it. So maybe, again, my theory on this stuff is always that it's a sample clearance thing, that it's too expensive to clear the baseline, and that's why no one else has used it. But to me, it is nuts, especially in the 90s when everyone was looking for baselines. Why wouldn't you use this one? It is so good. I'm just going to bring it back because it's so good. For my last example, it's not so much about a single song, though I will supply one, but it has to do with an entire genre, which is Afro-Cuban music. And this is a genre in which, and I don't even want to call it a genre, I mean, it's a tradition. It's something that goes, I mean, stretches back centuries. But the point here is that Afro-Cuban music 
part of its design is to be dance music. And so its riffs, its loops, etc., to me would seem to be almost obvious to mine. And the fact that you don't see many examples, I have a couple of armchair theories, none of which are all that satisfying to me because I can poke holes in my own ideas here. You could say it's lack of familiarity, and that might be the case that you don't have enough, uh, historically you haven't had had enough producers who come from in some kind of Afro-Cuban background who grew up around this music in their household. That's possibly the case. It could also have something to do with the differences in time signature uh, between Afro-Cuban music that is built around the clave beat uh, that may or may not work within a kind of quantized 4-4 uh, format, but I've never actually spoken about this with a musicologist to figure out if this, if I'm just talking out my butt right now. Regardless, there are just not that many examples compared to the world of soul and funk, even though if we're talking about just in New York, Afro-Cuban music was such a big part of the musical landscape that early hip-hop pioneers would have grown up in and around, not to, you know, not to mention all the later uh, generations of producers who would have grown up um, in and around the circulation of that music too. So, I don't fully know the reasons why Afro-Cuban music hasn't been used as much and hasn't been mined as much from a sampling point of view, but this is Tito Puente's Margie's Mood from, I think, the early 70s, and just the way that this opens, you cannot tell me this would not make for one killer loop. Thanks to Luke Hennig for his question. And thanks to everyone who dropped us suggestions for this mini-sode mailbag episode. Keep them coming. I'll try to post to also Twitter and Instagram and make sure that folks on those platforms get a say as well. But until next time, I'm Oliver Wong for Heat Rocks and hope everyone is enjoying their November. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.